0: Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage our next keynote speaker, best selling author and senior editor of the New York Times, Jody Totham.
1: Hello, good afternoon, how are y'all? Good, I just wanted to thank you for the warm welcome. So wonderful to be back in my hometown, the great city of Houston. I have my uh, my sister, my parents here. And I just wanna thank you so much for inviting me and a, spe- a special thank you to Susan who made this happen. Uh, I don't wanna embarrass you, Susan, but I wanted to just tell you a little bit about uh, how this how this came about you know I live in New York I'm a I'm an editor at the New York Times and I got a message um, actually on LinkedIn I think Susan Uh, Susan got in touch with me like we didn't know each other before but she was so enthusiastic about my book and she just said you know we'd love to have you you know speak at our conference one of these days and I said, wow, you know, this is, I was so impressed by her energy and her enthusiasm and then uh, sure enough, you know, I was on a visit and the dates worked, I was so pleased. So I just wanted you all to know, you know, this is really Susan's vision and that imagining things that are possible and I'm just so glad to be part of it. So thank you, Susan. Um, And I'm honored really to join you all today here for this Summit for Women I mean, I can't tell you working in journalism, which, you know, frankly is still a, a field that's dominated by men, it's just wonderful to see so many women from so many different fields finance, healthcare, the health professions, entrepreneurs, technology, and so many others that I, I, I'm not even sure of gathered here in one place. I mean, this is a gathering of so much incredible talent and ambition. I mean, just listening to the panel uh, a little earlier today, I I feel like I was already taking notes, (laughs) things that I'm gonna take back with me to New York. But this is a place where I know you all are going to inspire each other, learn from each other, to do things that you haven't even imagined yet uh, that you can do. And that idea of women helping and inspiring each other That's something that I spent years thinking about, researching and writing for my book, Sisters of Mokama. So I know most of you haven't read the book yet and that's okay, I love talking about it. So I'm just gonna tell you uh, a little bit of the story. Um, My book uh, is an amazing true story of six Catholic nuns from Kentucky who went to India in 1947 to start a missionary hospital. Now, when I say they became missionaries, that meant that they got on a ship, were told to go home, say goodbye to their families, and they thought it would be forever, because that's what it meant to be a missionary at that time. You'd probably never see your family again. So they got on that ship and they went 8,000 miles away to India, to Bihar, uh, which, if any of you are familiar with that part of the world, Bihar, is it's not just any place in India. It's one of the poorest and most difficult parts of India, even today. Um, but they went there. They had a mission to start this hospital, and they were ready to do it. Now, when they got there, they, they really didn't know what they were getting into or what they would find. But when they got there, they realized that what was meant to be a hospital Was actually just an empty warehouse. It had no electricity, no running water, no doctors. There weren't even any nurses other than three of the original six uh, sisters who had come on that ship. They had no medicine other than what they had brought with them in the cargo hold of the ship. But they started, they, they started that hospital within a few months of arriving. But of course, they did not do it alone. As we all know, like none of us accomplish anything all by ourselves. Uh, As soon as they started that hospital, they realized that the thing that they needed more than anything else was nurses. I mean, nurses are the backbone of any hospital, really. But there weren't enough nurses in India at that time. If you can imagine, there were only 7,000 nurses in 1947 uh, in all of India to serve a population that was about 200 million people at that time. I mean, India had only 7,000 nurses. That was about the same number as there were in the the city of London in 1947. So what did these women do? They started a nursing school. uh, And that nursing school trained generations of Indian women who became nurses. And they were also the essential partners to these American women. In what became Nazareth Hospital, and the reason that I know this story, the, the reason wh- uh, that I've been hearing I've been hearing it my whole life, because my mother is one of those nurses. She graduated, uh, studied nursing with these nuns from Kentucky, and I, growing up, I, I heard this story, uh, but I, you know, I had this passion to learn more about it, and that's basically how I came to write this book. Now you may be wondering, okay, well what does this have to do with me? I mean, these are nuns from Kentucky. It was a long time ago, 75 years ago. Uh, You know, what did they have to do with me? But that's really what I wanna talk to you about because there is so much about this story that is relevant today. So much to learn from these resourceful and gutsy women. So that's what I actually wanna spend some time with talking to you all about. Uh, because in the years that I spent getting to know uh, these women through their stories, I was also able to uh, interview the youngest of the original six sisters, Anne Roberta Powers, before she passed away. There are a few lessons that that I learned that I come back to over and over again, and I, and I wanted to share some of them with you today. The first one, it's really my favorite because it's... Um, It's something that just encapsulates everything that they were trying to do uh, in the years that they were starting the hospital. And it's sort of the, part of the the motto of the order, the Sisters of Charity of Nazareth. It goes something like this, venture forward even if you don't know the way. Uh, Now these sisters, they call it part of their charism. It's sort of like their, their guiding philosophy, their mission statement, um, and every order has one. It just kind of expresses a little bit about what is it that makes their order different from other orders. Now, you might have one for your business, for your team, even you know, even something for yourself. Now, this order has its roots in Kentucky. It's it's actually hundreds of years old, and it was started back when Kentucky was a real frontier. So that. That phrase, that motto, really captures the frontier spirit that guided these sisters in everything that they did. I mean, these women were pioneers in so many ways. The sisters, you know, before they, uh, they were pioneers in India. I mean, before they had started this hospital, none of them had ever left the United States. Uh, Most of them had never even left Kentucky, but they got on that ship and they were willing to take on this mission. And it's not just them. I mean, the Indian women too, the young women who became nurses, they were pioneers of a sense also. I mean, uh, the women in the book whose stories I tell, they were coming from not an area near Bihar. They were, most of them, coming from villages in India, hundreds of miles away. Many of them had never left their villages. I mean, some of them had never even seen a train before they got on a train and went hundreds of miles away to study nursing with a group of American women whom they had never met before. They were going to a place that was so remote and different from what they had known, it was almost as if they were going to another country. So they didn't know, none of them, they didn't know what they would find or what they would do, Uh, I mean, One of my favorite stories about the nuns is when they got there and they realized, you know, we don't have, there's no running water here, there's just a well, but they were so committed to giving the the best standard of care possible that they could, even in this very poor part of India, they said, you know, if we're gonna set up an operating room, which they were fully intending to do, we need to set up some way of having running water so the surgeon can wash their hands properly. And it needs to be purified water, also, if you're doing surgery. So they said, well, you know, we're from Kentucky. We know how to set up a still. <laughs> and that is exactly what they did. They, they set up a still behind the hospital, purified the well water, and that is how they did their surgery. So I'm telling you, they had, I mean, they didn't know what they would have to do when they arrived, but they found a way. Similarly, you know, the young Indian women, when they got there, some of them didn't even really know, well, what is it that I'm going to be doing? They were just, had this passion to leave home, to be independent, to find some kind of profession. I mean, this was in the early 1950s, uh, some of them in India at that time, it was very unusual even to just sort of uh, leave the house, leave your village um, without, a family member present. And these women were going, hundreds of, these young women, I mean, they were only teenagers, some of them, uh, when they left home to study nursing. And when they got there, they realized like, oh, these American women, they're not even sure what to do with us. Like they weren't sure, like some of them, could they even be fully part of our order, fully part of our community? So it was one of my favorite stories is the first group of young Indian women who, wanted to join the order. They weren't all intending to be nurses. Some of them really wanted to be nuns too. But this was an American order that had never had Indian women as part of their community. So they really weren't sure about this. But these young women, they got there and they said, you know, we're here. We wanna be part of your community. One day they just didn't show up for mass, for daily mass. And the American women said, well, wait a second, what's going on? And they realized that these uh, young novices had decided to go on strike. They said, you know what? We're not going to church until you make us fully part of your community. And let me tell you, that was not an easy thing for these women to, to hear, to confront, but they were willing to change. And they said, okay, you know what? These, w- these women want us to adapt to this new place that we've come to, and we're willing to do that. And this is just something that I think about all the time, you know. I mean, so many of you as well, you're pioneers in your fields and in, in your communities. Maybe you're the first person in your family to leave home, to leave your small town. There are so many moments when you know you're going to have to move forward. But if you wait until you know exactly where and how and and when, well, that opportunity might just pass you by. And that willingness to venture forward even when you don't know the way, to me, that's what makes a real pioneer. Now, the second lesson that I I took from these nuns, and let me tell you, I've spent a lot of time in convents and with nuns over the years. The second one is a little surprising, and that is to keep your time sacred, but as part of that, keep your time for fun sacred as well. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, Now, you might be thinking, I mean, many of us, if you've ever studied with Catholic nuns, if you've met any, you might assume that, like, okay, I know what that's like. These are women who have their rules, they're very pious, they they sort of stay in their communities and and nothing else. But that's not the experience that I've had, uh, let me tell you, hanging out with nuns over the years. I mean, they do have something that they call the rule of hours. It's a very set schedule for how they spend every single day, right? They wake up, when they wake up, when they have their prayers, when they have their meals, the hours they spend working in the hospital. But they also leave one hour every evening for recreation. And that hour to them is as sacred as every other hour. So, what, so in the early years of that mission, even when they were working so hard, you know, setting up the hospital, setting up the nursing school, dealing with patients really with incredible needs. I mean, malnourished pac- patients, a lot of them, trying to find medicines in a place uh, that they, you know, where there were very few medicines available in that time in the late 1940s, early 1950s in India, raising money for the hospital but they kept that hour every evening. You know, when they didn't have electricity, they would uh, set out their kerosene lamps, they would spend that hour writing letters home, sometimes just talking about the day, you know, funny things that happened, a difficult case that they had to deal with. You know, in later years, when when I had a chance to spend some time at the convent, you know, these nuns would spend their time watching their favorite soap opera, playing cards, because they knew, you know, that time at the end of every day, that was the time that they would connect with each other, they would relax, they would have fun, and really just enjoy that reward for the hard work of that day before the hard work of the next day. And I and I really became convinced after, after seeing the spirit they had. I mean, these are women who felt like this is the adventure of a lifetime. You know, we might not think of it this way. We might think of this as, um, you know, incredibly hard work, you know, and perhaps something many of us would never want to do, but they just embraced every minute of it. And I'm convinced that uh, that spirit, that willingness to embrace both the fun and the hard work is part of what kept them going. So the, the third lesson that I learned from these incredible women and this is something that uh, I, I really hope that you all will take, take to heart. I heard this in the earlier panel as well, is to tell your own story. Because really, it really is much more important than you think. And this is something that's really important to me as a journalist because if these women that I'm writing about had not been willing to share their story, there's no way I would have been able to write a book. I mean, this is what... The reason why I know all these details about their life, everything that they did every day is because even in the middle of doing all this hard work, they would somehow find the time to write letters home to their families. They kept something that they called a mission log. It was like a day-by-day account of everything that happened each day in the hospital, good, bad, you know, who came to visit, how many patients were there. They kept incredible records. They kept, you know, some of them kept journals. They wrote home to their families. They wrote home to the mother house. And they were doing all of this. They were, and they were willing to write, you know, even the things that were complicated, you know, when the people in the village were not, in, in the town were not really very welcoming to them. When there were, uh, you know, there were really difficult, heartbreaking cases of children whom they were not able to save. All of that, all of that was there in the records. You know, it was, and I was just like, just captivated reading all of this. So, and it was also, you know, one of the things that made it possible for me to do this. The women in my story, also the nurses, they were willing to tell me to remember their stories and tell me what had happened. And you know, what I found is that I had to really overcome a certain reluctance for them to share their stories you know because they thought well this is just this is just the life that i live like none, none of us really when we're when we're living through an incredibly different difficult time none of us think oh this is part of a big historical event but really that you know look at what's happened in the last couple of years all of us have lived through so much incredible change I mean, we've all come through this difficult period. And I hope some of you if, you, if you aren't already, have been writing down, you know, everything that happened. And that can take many different forms. You know, it might be letters or emails to your families. It might be, you know, that weekly newsletter or the monthly newsletter that you send out to your team, your community. I mean, whatever it is, like, I really encourage you to write down what's happening to you and share it with other people. Because, I mean, that is what, like those stories, that's what's gonna inspire the next generation in the way that I was inspired by these women in my story. So that's the thing that I I just wanna leave you with today, just to remember that you all are also making history, even if you don't know yet exactly what that is. So Susan, I just wanna thank you again for um, having me and allowing me to be part of this day. And I'll be around a little while this afternoon.
0: Well, we're excited that um, Jody's going to stay and have a book signing, so we're very excited that she will be here. But we can't thank you enough, and we hope that this just is the start of a relationship. What I would love to propose is if you could help us influence uh, the media and how they portray Texas women. Sometimes in the media, it always aggravates. Since you're You're one of us, you're (laughs) one of us. So, uh, so it'd be great uh, to have your partnership. So. There's a gift for you. Great, thank you. And we'll stay up here on stage. Why don't you come over here um, by me? I'd like to welcome her mother to the stage, Elsima Thodum. Would you please join us on stage? We are so honored and inspired to meet you after hearing so much about you. And we want to recognize you for your unselfish, amazing contribution to humanity. Elsa Muth is a registered nurse, now retired, with 30 years of experience as a recovery room nurse at Methodist Hospital. Methodist, give me a big round of applause. In addition to her long and varied nursing career, and while raising three daughters, we see one of them here with us today, with her husband George, Elsima has been actively involved in charitable and humanitarian work in service for the nursing profession. She started the Indian Nurses Association of Greater Houston in the early 1990s, before it was popular there. Huh? That's a in a group which has um, which has projects in Haiti in Bali, I'm sorry, I can have a hard time reading the, the teleprompter, so y'all forgive me, and conducted, um, maybe I'll just get out my glasses here and be, so, be, not be vain like I've been, so sorry, uh, projects in Haiti and, and conducts blood drives in health clinics in the Houston area and beyond. The Indian Nurses Association has also been active as Stars Hope volunteers during Thanksgiving with disaster relief after Hurricane Harvey, conducting educational seminars and organizing scholarships for nursing students. Elsema has also volunteered for medical surgical missions in Bolivia, Morocco, and in India, and for the Indian Doctors of the Houston Charity Clinic. She's a longtime volunteer at Holy Family Catholic Church in Missouri City, and is a faithful fan of the Houston Rockets and the world champion, Houston Astros. Yay. Yeah. I will say that our speaker later uh, today is the president of the uh, Rockets, and it's a woman, so you'll have to meet her. She'll be sitting there at the table with you. So, But let's give a big hand for these two amazing women. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll move over to the middle and get a photo off. Let's get a photo over here, Janet. So you're going to get over there. Can you move over that way a little bit? Another thing that I know is dear to our heart is the history of women. I mean, I don't know that you've ever been recognized for everything that you've done. And, you know, we we look at movies like Hidden Figures. You know, there's so many women out there that are not recognized in history. So we would love, in your position there with the New York Times, if maybe we can partner with you about bringing more light to women that have done amazing things. So thank you so much for taking the time to come and be here. Okay, And I hope to see more of you. Okay. Yes, you're going to. Yes, please. You
2: want me to take them here? I can take. I am humbled and and honoured to receive this award. I would like to dedicate this to the pioneer sisters of Mukama for their courage, sacrifice, and determination, and to Jodi for her tireless work and detailed research, (laughs) she truly left no stone unturned to tell their amazing story. The Sisters of Makama were missionary nuns from Kentucky. They never preached gospel, they never preached religion, but it was their work that was a model and that spoke volume. And I am a um, product and a beneficiary of that service, and I was there in the 60s, early 60s, in the leprosy clinic, TB ward, cholera epidemic, and while um, going through midwifery training, conducting home deliveries in the villages, in their homes with the candlelight. Um, I humbly accept this award when you honor me You honor all those amazing women that came before me. Thank you, and a great afternoon.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m.